embracing somebody's reality really just means you're putting your own reality on the back burner and you're saying, okay, what is true for this person? What is true for this person at this moment on this day right now? All right, let's do that. Because what's important is not, is no longer my truth that I'm bringing into the situation. The goal is not to fix, to correct, to change. But the goal is to say, okay, how can I make this person's day a little bit easier by doing what's true for them? Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Rachel Wonderland, a dementia care consultant and author. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So I found you through LinkedIn right after my younger cousin had lost her grandmother to dementia. She decided when she graduates college or graduates high school, she wants to go to school for dementia research. So I decided to start looking into different people and different protocols for dementia and different research that was available. And I came across your page on LinkedIn and started listening to your podcast. And I absolutely loved how you are changing the game and providing so much information. So Thank you for the work you are doing. There are so many different ideas of what dementia is. It is often thought to be an individual who just forgets who everyone is. And then depending on the doctor and the website, there are so many different stages and number of stages, and it's really confusing. So what does dementia actually look like? There are over 100 different causes of dementia, so it doesn't look like just one thing. Um, Sometimes the, you know, Hollywood or the media will portray it as a person will forget who everybody is, like the movie The Notebook. That's kind of a just a convenient plot device, but it's not really an accurate look of what uh, what dementia really means. So there are over 100 different causes of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause, and uh, it depends on the individual what you're actually going to see. Some people living with dementia really don't actually have too many memory problems, especially in the earlier stages of the disease process. Wow. I had no idea there were so many different types. So are there certain groups of people who are at higher risk, like genetics, other um, mental health or brain health conditions? Yeah, but it's kind of hard. There's the highest risk is just aging. That's it. So um, women are slightly more affected with dementia, but it's pretty probably just because we live longer than men do. Um, so it, it's more just aging related. Uh, genetics, of course, can be a factor. Um, a sedentary lifestyle can be a factor. These all can speed up the dementia, but the main one is just aging, just more likely to get dementia as we age. Oh, wow. So is there a certain age where symptoms start to occur or is it just different for everyone? It's different for everybody. Yep. So I really want to talk about that blog you shared called 20 things I'd want if I got dementia. Mm-hmm. You shared about how you would want your family to embrace your reality, treat you like an adult, help you find a way to do things you always enjoyed, not to get frustrated with you if you forgot something, not excluding you from events and so many more. 
So when you were putting this list together, why did you pick these specific 20 things? My original list is actually 16 things I'd want to mention. If I had to mention, actually, it's over there. Um, And then I updated it and added uh, four more. But uh, it's really, oddly enough, I wrote that um, probably almost a decade ago at this point. And it was it's something that just came to me quickly. It was just something that popped into my head. I realized like, okay, these were the things that I would want people to know about me if I really couldn't advocate for myself anymore. And I, I think everybody has those items, things that you would want people to know about you if you could not make it clear yourself. That is very true. And a lot of times we forget that if someone can't advocate for themselves, it is our job to help them and to be there and not mm-hmm. to get frustrated. Right. Supporting them is so important. I really want to focus in on your trademarked phrase, embracing the reality. You've created an approach that really transforms the way we speak and interact with individuals living with dementia. And in one blog and a podcast episode, you really spoke about how in nursing school, students are traditionally taught to redirect questions by validating their feelings. Why does that specific approach fall short? Yeah, so in nursing school, sometimes people are actually taught to uh, reorient, which is different than redirection. Reorientation would be you saying, no, you know, you're 90 years old, your parents died years ago, you have dementia, don't you remember, which is a horrible approach. And fortunately, I think most people agree that that's a terrible approach, but um, people sometimes still do it. The one that I kind of rally against in general is, is just that And then also this concept that if we just redirect people, we just change the conversation, that we've solved the challenge. And then, of course, that's not true. Um, So embracing somebody's reality really means that you find out where somebody's world is and you go there no matter where that world is. And that can feel like lying for some people. And so it can feel a little bit challenging at first. But I, it it works. Going to somebody's world and doing what's true for them is so much easier than just trying to get them off of the topic and avoid it altogether. That makes sense. So you mentioned how a lot of people feel uncomfortable because they feel like it's lying. Where is that line between what lying is and what is embracing their reality? I think lying is generally a self-serving tool, right? So we... Uh, lie to get out of things or prevent ourselves from getting in trouble. When we're embracing somebody's reality, we're really doing what's better for the person living with dementia. And when we're embracing somebody's reality, we're asking them what their reality is, and then we're agreeing with it. So we could literally ask, where do you think your mom is when someone is saying, where's my mother? Uh, And then they say, oh, well, I think she's at work. I think she's at the store. I think she's wherever. And all you're saying is, yeah, that makes sense. I bet she probably is at work. It's much easier to go to somebody's reality when you know where it is and that you're not, um, you know, forcing your own reality into the situation. That makes sense. And then there was something else you've spoke a lot about timeline confusion. So mm-hmm. recognizing that someone living with dementia may experience shifts in the reality at multiple times during a day. So just because earlier they thought their mom was at the grocery store doesn't mean they're thinking the same thing later on. 
So can you talk a little bit more about what timeline confusion is and ways that someone can approach the conversation without assuming that they're embracing the same reality as they were earlier? So when you're walking into a situation, if your loved one is having trouble placing you on their timeline, um, they're not really understanding how linear time works anymore. And especially for grandchildren, this can be very confusing if you know, you're in your 30s and your grandparents are in their 90s. Um, they may remember you as a very small person or they may just not remember uh, you know, you existing yet. You may be a baby. <laughs> so um, it's important to not walk into that situation and announce your relationship with that individual if they're having trouble placing you on their timeline. Um, so you're you're walking in, you're letting them guide you to their reality. And you're not saying like, hey, remember me? Do you remember my name? Remember, I'm your grandkid or whatever the relationship is. You're letting their reality guide the situation instead of you forcing your relationship into, into the conversation. That makes a lot of sense. We tend to kind of just force situations in general to be the way we want them. And paying attention that if someone is dealing with timeline confusion, they are forgetting, they are struggling in a way, being mindful that it's okay to listen to them and let them guide the conversation. And one thing I saw was you had questions about from people about how correcting someone's confusion from dementia will help um, boost their memory. Is that true? Will it actually help boost their memory if we're constantly correcting them? Or will embracing the reality worsen their condition or is it more helpful? Right. So yeah, I, I, I'm, people sometimes ask me, well, you know, if you just keep correcting, if I just keep reminding my mom of, of our truth, won't that uh, be helpful because if I embrace her reality too much, won't it confuse her further? Uh, no, there's no evidence to suggest that embracing somebody's reality is going to do them any disservice. I think constantly arguing with somebody is a really great way to make them decline faster. Yeah. That reminds me of your episode, How to Win an Argument with Someone with Dementia where you had this one individual who did not recognize her clothing. So her, she asked her son about it and her and her son would argue every time he entered the room because she believed someone stole her clothes and he was upset because his wife had taken all that time to sew her name into the clothing. So what is the best way to handle a situation like that where maybe we are getting frustrated as the caregiver, as the loved one and we don't maybe understand why they don't understand. We're thinking, how is the best way to approach it so that maybe she doesn't believe that someone stole her clothes and she can feel comfortable with her clothes? Yeah, uh, with that particular situation, I just advise that the son not go in her room anymore because he couldn't help himself. He'd go in there and he'd start an argument with her. And I said, you know, just don't go in your mom's room. That was a solution, and that solution can be applied more globally, as in, you can step away. You know, you don't have to engage. If you can't help yourself and you just really want to correct somebody, you don't have to engage. You can remove yourself from the situation. You can find another caregiver to come in and relieve you. Um, Being somebody's 24-7 caregiver is 
way, way more than a full-time job and it's unpaid, it's stressful, it's not the same as raising a healthy child. It, it's an impossible to job, do that job by yourself. So a big part of it is finding other people to help you and being able to step out of the situation when you're feeling like your only option is to start an argument because it's just it's not going to go anywhere positive that is so true being able to step away we tend to feel so much guilt like we have to be there we have to be there 24 7 they don't want them to feel alone or abandoned they changed their diapers they were there for us we have to be there for them all the time but sometimes the best way for everyone is to step away have help we all need help sometimes right so um what are some maybe indicators that it's time to ask for help to maybe reach out for an aid or for a assisted living care facility if you've been thinking about it it's probably been time that's the easiest advice (laughs) that i have with if you've been thinking about getting help if you've been thinking about transitioning them into a dementia care community. It's been time. It's time to make that move. Typically, people wait far too long to ask for help. People wait far too long to make that transition into dementia care because of guilt, um, you know, whatever else, pressure from their family. So if you are considering getting help, if you're considering making the move, yes, now is the time. In fact, the time might have been, you know, six months ago. The time might have been a year ago. That's, it makes sense that if you're asking yourself the question, it is time you are having that concern. You recognize that you need support, that they need support, and then it's time. So I think a lot of people also fear these horror stories that they hear and they don't know what actually happens. So can you share a little bit more about what happens when a patient moves into or an individual moves into assisted care facility? So it depends on the type of care community. I always recommend it be a dementia specific uh, wing or, you know, place in a community. Um, if a loved one has dementia, that is where they need to be, not in the rest of assisted living, not in independent living. Uh, This, you know, it really depends um, on the individual and the family. I would sum it up with with a short answer of, I highly recommend my first book called When Someone You Know Is Living in a Dementia Care Community. That book within the next year will be replaced by my third book which is also about that topic. That is my how-to guide on how to transition somebody into a dementia care community. The why, the what, the how, the when. That's really probably the easiest way I can sum it up. But if you've been thinking about making that move, it's time to really get those wheels in motion and begin looking for a community. Well, congratulations on your third book, getting ready to come out within the next year. That is amazing. And it's even more amazing that you're providing all of that information. I think people are always so afraid of what they don't know. And the media and the, the media essentially puts a lot of horror stories out there because that's clickbait is all the bad. So they don't tend to shine a light on the good. So all you know and all the reference you have is all the bad things that have happened, what's happened on the news, what's happened in the movies. And 
you don't actually know. So then you feel afraid. Am I actually going to hurt my parent by putting them in the care facility? Am I really helping them? Is something bad going to happen? So being able to provide that information is so amazing. And you're really offering a lot of people support when they need it. So thank you for that. And so when you now have someone who has been diagnosed with dementia, what are some words or phrases that you should start to adjust and avoid to make it, to provide the right kind of support? Uh, In general, there's nothing in particular that you need to avoid besides constantly correcting or arguing with them. If they want to talk about their dementia diagnosis early on in the disease process, I think that's perfectly fine. What we don't want to do is keep reminding somebody who has forgotten that they have dementia that they have dementia. So I tend to avoid the word dementia unless someone brings it up with me. So if a person is living with dementia and they want to talk about their diagnosis, I'm of course happy to do that with them. But otherwise I will not talk about dementia in front of somebody with dementia. A lot of times they don't pass an early stage. They don't know they have dementia. Oh, wow. You know, a lot of people I think would believe that you should always be talking about it because once you get a diagnosis, Mm -hmm. we kind of identify with the diagnosis all the time and that becomes our label. And we feel like we always need to be talking about it. So when a loved one forgets, we almost feel like we have to remind them. Like we have to tell them what's going on, but that's not necessarily fair to them. And that's what I love about your embracing the reality approach. So do you have some action items that you could share for our listeners who maybe have a loved one who's living with dementia to learn how to properly embrace the reality? Definitely uh, go to my blog, dementiabyday.com. And on the first blog post up there that's like saved is about this concept. And it's long and it's in depth and it'll give you a full look. Um, Embracing somebody's reality really just means you're putting your own reality on the back burner. And you're saying, okay, what is true for this person? What is true for this person at this moment on this day right now? All right, let's do that. Because what's important is not, is no longer my truth that I'm bringing into the situation. The goal is not to fix, to correct, to change. But the goal is to say, okay, how can I make this person's day a little bit easier by doing what's true for them? And subsequently, how is my my day is going to be better because we're not spending all day correcting and arguing and being upset with one another, which inevitably is what happens when you're saying, no, 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 you know, your reality is not right. Here's what's true. Don't you remember? Uh, I guess that would be another phrase to, to avoid. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? I told you we have a doctor's appointment at two o'clock. They don't remember that. (laughs) They don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't remember just yelling, don't you remember a hundred times, isn't going to make them remember. It's going to make them frustrated, feel bad that they don't remember, feel ashamed of it, maybe. And you're just fighting with yourself at at that point. You're just fighting with yourself because they can't remember and yelling about it is not suddenly going to make someone remember. 
So what are some ways that you could maybe help remind someone without that forceful do you remember? Um, I would be curious what it is that we're trying to get them to remember. If it's something like, let's try to make them remember that they have a doctor's appointment. There's really no point because at some juncture, their short-term memory is going to most likely be fairly impaired. And we are not going to be able to fix this with notes or, you know, reminders. What we can do is talk about things they do remember, which are long-term memories. So where they grew up, you know, what their house looked like, um, things they've enjoyed, hobbies, and that kind of stuff. Those are all good things that we can talk about. And we can even say, oh, do you remember what your house looked like growing up? We can say that because they're probably going to remember that. Um, but in general, trying to use like tips and tricks past a very, very early stage of dementia is going to not yield a lot of fruit. So I generally just tell families, don't waste a lot of time trying to get mom to remember that thing (laughs) that we want her to remember. So what about when it comes to medications? Is they're not remembering their medication, would putting notes and reminders everywhere help? Or is that when you're like, you know what, it's time to maybe get an aid? That's when it's time to get somebody else to help for sure. Because if you don't remember to look at a note, (laughs) the note is not going to be helpful. Um, Yeah, I've watched families rely on notes and little reminders and things like that, little apps, you know, um, that don't work because the inherent problem is that they don't remember to look at the thing to remember that thing that they're supposed to remember. So the inherent problem is the short-term memory and a note or an app cannot solve that. The only thing that can solve it is another human being bringing the medication in and giving it Exactly. We um, rely so much on technology these days. And we think if we set a million different alarms and write it in every app, email it to them, text it to them, put it in their calendar, that it's going to solve everything because technology will solve all the problems. It's a constant reminder. But if they're Mm -hmm. not remembering to look or they don't remember what that name of the medication is, and what it's for, that's not going to convince them to take it. Why am I taking this? So understanding that there is a point when it's okay to ask for an aid and not to try to solve every problem. You can't solve that they're not remembering. Exactly. So when it comes to other things, maybe like hygiene and small things to take care of themselves, Is there a certain point where it's like, you know what, it's time to get an aid or is that different for everyone? Uh, If someone is at the point where they really cannot make safe decisions anymore, as in they shouldn't be left home alone because they may do something like head outside, forget why they're out there, go down the basement stairs without turning on the light, things like that. Uh, then it is probably time. I generally generally would recommend extra help past an early stage of dementia, like a very early stage of dementia. I don't recommend anybody being alone for any extended period of time. Can just spell 
disaster pretty quickly. That makes so much sense. We tend to, like you said in the meeting, we tend to wait. We tend to wait as long as possible and we don't want to admit that we need help and that we can't handle it. Mm-hmm. We also don't want to admit that our loved one may be living with dementia. We don't always know what to do. Do we take them to the doctor and see what doctor do we go to? So when people have questions like that, what doctor do you go to to get someone diagnosed or to check and see where they're at? I would recommend a neurologist or a geriatrician. A doctor specializes in uh, geriatrics and aging. Both of these doctors are sometimes hard to come by because they are in high, high, high demand. So it is good to get somebody and try to get on a wait list if you can, or if you have a large hospital system nearby that does uh, memory screenings, that is another way to go. And they typically have teams of neurologists and geriatricians. So anybody who specializes in aging and in aging related disorders, sometimes family care physicians can get you a basic diagnosis, but are not going to be able to get you much more than, okay, we think it's dementia, which is really not a whole lot of data to actually go on. That is very true. So how do you know when it's time to bring someone in for that memory scan? Do you just do it maybe with age as like preventative or as early recognition? Or is it something that maybe there's warning signs or indicators that it's time to go in? It wouldn't be a bad idea to take people in as prevent as not so much preventative, but as like a, let's find this out before it's a problem. I would say that 99.9% of people are not doing that. And it is reactive and it is, oh no, <laughs> something is wrong. Um, you're probably going to see an uptick in this after the holidays because people are going to see their loved ones again for maybe the first time in a few months or longer. And they may notice, oh, wow, this person has progressed in their cognitive decline. We need to get them to a doctor. So it it just, it it really depends on the family. I mean, if you could do early stage check-ins, yes, that would 100% be the ideal situation. I don't think most families are, most families are not doing that. Let's say that. We are definitely very reactive and every shape and form when it comes to health. Sure. And when it comes to brain health, we are so reactive. We wait as long as we possibly can. Well, it's scary. I think people don't always want to face whatever it is that they're afraid of. And dementia is a pretty scary diagnosis because we don't have a cure for any form of dementia at this point. Uh, So, you know, I think for a lot of people, it feels like, well, why even get a diagnosis? The answer is really just because we need a little bit more data and it could help us to keep tabs on symptoms that they might be having. But otherwise, yeah, if somebody's at a very late stage of dementia, there's no point in going to the doctor probably to like get a formal diagnosis because you already know, you've already seen what's going on there. You know, a diagnosis is not really going to benefit you too much. That makes sense, especially since there is no cure. A lot of people might feel like, why should I even go? It's not like they can do anything for me. 
And it can be terrifying to find that out that you have something that there is no cure and this fear of forgetting your loved ones and knowing that that could be coming up. It could. I think I would say majority of people living with dementia do not have trouble placing their loved ones on their timeline until very, very late in the disease process, if at all. So the the concept that like someone's going to wake up one morning and not know who you are is a very Hollywoodized look at dementia. And that's not how it works. So don't have the fear that somebody's going to just like be a completely different person one day, unless there is a really bad accident. You know, if there's a fall, if there's a crazy, really bad fall or a car accident or a stroke, all of these things could make somebody pretty altered from they were the way they were the day before. But, you know, bearing any accident like that, um, you're not really going to see a drastic, oh, wow, this person's completely different and doesn't know who I am now uh, change overnight for sure. I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that's what we assume is going to happen. We assume that all of a sudden they're going to wake up one day and have no idea who they are, where they are, and we're not going to be able to help them. Right. That's because of movies like The Notebook. That's because of movies that, movies and TV shows sometimes that, you know, put this idea into people's heads. (laughs) So. What are some of the other biggest misconceptions when it comes to dementia? Um, That you can have either Alzheimer's or dementia and Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia. So someone with dementia could have Alzheimer's. Someone with Alzheimer's does have dementia, if that makes sense. Um, That, you know, everyone's going to forget. They're going to forget who you are. Um, I've heard people say, oh, well, they'll forget their own name. No, that that never happens. Um, mirrors. I've only very occasionally had somebody who is freaked out by a mirror because they don't recognize themselves and they think that who's this old person in the mirror. I've only had that happen on like a handful of occasions but that's a misconception. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of myths out there about dementia. There are, and they make it terrifying for not only the person who may be going through it, but also their loved ones, because they have no idea what to expect. And that is one of the reasons why I love the work you're doing. I love listening to your podcast. I think I've sent it out to like 20 people. I'm like, please listen to this. Oh, good. So thank you for continuously educating all of us because I continuously learn so much from you every day. Oh, awesome. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me.